Good morning. Well, we're glad you're here. Thanks for uh, uh, thanks for braving the weather. Many of us have lived in other places, and uh, we really the weather in California really makes us weak. It's like, oh, it's raining. It's almost like like even God's like, I don't know if I can do anything this morning. It might be drizzling. But uh, we're going to continue our series on uh, deep, strong, and resilient. What does it mean to be discipled? If you remember, Stephen, is there talking to us and setting the series up? Is there a way to walk with God where it's effortless? Right. And uh, uh, last week, um, I spoke about loving God with all your mind. Um, today, we're going to talk about loving God with all your soul. Um, about 10, 15 years ago, I read an article in Fast Company magazine, and it fascinated me. And I just want to touch on it. But the, the article was called Change or Die. And let me just read to you the first part, the, like the first First few sentences, you know, the first few sentences of the article. It says, if you were given that choice for real, change or die, what if it wasn't just hyperbolic rhetoric that conflates corporate performance with life or death? We're talking actual life or death, your own life or death. What if a well-informed, trusted authority figure said to you, you had to make a difficult and enduring change in the way that you think and act, and if you didn't, your time would end soon, a lot sooner than it had to? Could you change when change really mattered, when it mattered the most? Yes, you say. Try again. <laughs> yes. Like... You're probably deluding yourselves. You wouldn't change. Don't believe it? What are the odds? Here are the odds. The scientific studied odds, nine to one. That's nine to one against you. <laughs> Great news. Thanks for coming to church this morning. <laughs> How do you like those odds? And the article goes on to say, we have actually these studies. And in one of the, a big part of the article basically said, you know, 80% of our healthcare budget is consumed by five behavioral issues. And you don't, most of us know what those issues are. People smoke too much, drink too much, eat too much, stress, and they don't get enough exercise. 80% at this time of our healthcare budget is set aside to that. So there's all these studies. And when people are saying, if you buy that trusted individual, when they are confronted and they say, if you don't do these things, this will happen, only 10% of them actually change. Now, why is that? Well, one of the lines he says is this, telling people who are lonely and depressed that they are going to live longer if they quit smoking or change their diet or lifestyle is not very motivating. So you're telling me that I don't like my life. I get motivation from eating Cheetos and watching Netflix. And if you tell me that I don't eat Cheetos, I'll live a longer, more miserable life. Like, okay, I guess I'll just, I'll, I'll just keep going in that direction, right? You know, fill, fill in the blank. Whatever habits that are slowly eating away, and this is just physically what are eating away at us, most people will continue to do. 
Now, I think we have enough knowledge in the room, and this is, again, this is just one picture of it. But it really does bring up this, what makes us change? And this is a fascinating study. So they, they did bring up a, a few things, and, and I'm just, I just want to hit this just to get our mindset. One is this. Big change is sometimes better than small incremental changes. Big change, they say, can be actually more important. This article stayed with me because the other point they make is that the people that are most likely to make a change usually have a bigger story working for them. And this became so helpful in working with men in deep addiction for years. You realize that they were trapped in their own stories. I don't know how many times I listen to somebody, when you're 25 and you're a heroin addict, you didn't get there by accident. And I don't know how many times I've heard young men say to me, yeah, you just don't understand. This is my family, this is my fate, this is my story. They're stuck in their own stories. I'm doomed to do this. My dad was this way, my mom was this way. They almost all suffered from deep abandonment, deep abuse, and they go, this is just, this is just who I am. Fascinatingly, when it comes to the addiction community, it's, um, the odds are really low, or citizens' rates are really low. Christian ministries tend to have much higher rates. And it's not necessarily, in, in, in the knock on it, is that Christian ministries usually aren't more like scientific. <laughs> they don't come in like, well, we have all these best practices from psychology. What they do is almost all of them give people that are stuck in addiction, like, a bigger story. What if you're, what if you're not the nemesis? What if God is doing this? What if, what if you fit in in a different way? What if he has actually a plan for you in a future? And they go, what, what? And I've seen it time and time. All of a sudden, they get a bigger picture of their story, that they're not doomed just to, just to the worst parts of themselves and to the things that other people have literally dumped on them from, you know, from, from birth. Um, as one, one of the people said, is that sometimes facts are really good, but they said they find that joy is a much more powerful motivator for deep change. Now, there's so much to change, and I just wanted to touch on it to get us in a different uh, mindset. But today, as we've talked about loving God with all of our mind, right, going forward, we want to talk about, like, what does it mean to love God with our soul? Like, what are, how do we take what we believe about God and actually put it into practice? What are those, what, what makes the difference? How do we help, you know, change? How do we implement that spiritual mind? Let me go back, just set us from the top. Mark 12, Jesus is talking. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is, which is the most important? The most important one Answer Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray and ask God to 
sink these into us. Father, thank you that in everything that uh, in our lives, that your word uh, holds us true. It points out the things that we need to, um, to shift, but most importantly, it points out who you are. And Father, might you overwhelm us this morning and motivate us to think deeply about how to uh, love you with all of our mind and also, Father, with all of our soul. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a beautiful picture in John 15 about what it means to be connected to God. Jesus uses um, uh, the picture of a vineyard, and it's rich. And uh, we're not going to do it justice this morning. But he says this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in, in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Right? So I want to go back to our picture last week of the centered set versus bonded set. Right? Remember what the, what the bonded set is? The bonded set is anytime, hey, you're in a group, you're in or out, right? Like, if you, like, so if you go to Cal Berkeley, you can't walk onto Stanford's campus. You're not part of that crew. You have to go back to Berkeley, right? That's how that works. Sorry, I know that I'm in the minority there. Um, but a centered set, instead of judging whether you're in or out, the centered set judges, right, how close you are to the middle, and, and more importantly, what direction you're facing. So if you think about it this way, um, when we love God with all of our mind, we're, it, that has a lot to do with always focusing us in the right direction, right? So if we're, we're always focused, because it's easy, and we've seen this, people, cults get this way, all of a sudden they're not facing the center towards God, they start facing in a different direction. If we're not loving God with our minds, all of a sudden our culture can take us in a different direction. So we think we're facing God, but we're actually just facing a little bit away from him. We start worshiping things in our culture rather than, G rather than Jesus. So we need, right, intentional relationships. We need to be doing things to sharpen our minds. So we're always focused and facing and walking in the same direction, right? Loving God with our soul has to do with actually heading towards the center, you see, we can turn and face God and stay right there. So how do you actually move? Or, and we'll, I'll talk, we can actually turn and face God and actually at times move away from him. But think that we're okay because we're facing in the same direction. So what are the, you know, we can have habits if we don't go to them that actually take us further away from God. And then wondering, why isn't God close to me? Okay. So, so when we talk about loving God, it really is, can we, let me repeat what Stephen says, can we become genuinely changed people in Christ naturally, easily, easily? So part of that is, is there a rule of life, a way that you live, 
right? So when we talk about, like, and, and I want to, right, with healthcare, you know, with the, with the issue of change, right? Doing those things that all of a sudden you've got bad arteries, we're not, we're, right, we're, we're doing those things that physically take us out. All these small things that add up to something big. Well, it's the same thing with healthy habits, right? Spiritually, it's, it's very similar. Are there spiritual, what are those spiritual practices um, that we can do? Or the way that we live our life, right? So the first thing is this. When Jesus is talking about fruit that lasts in John 15, right? The first thing is that, the point that I'll make is this. God's deeper work is to shape our souls. So let me ask you this. When you came to faith in God, when you believed in him, what did you sign up for? Did you sign up? For God to shape your soul, or did you sign up for a better life? Because then when hard things happen, we can go, God, why are these hard things happening? Like, hey, we're going to shape your soul, right? It never escaped me when American Idol first came out that they would have these crazy auditions. It was always kind of part of their shtick. But there were people like, I want to be a star. And they would say, you do understand that this is not, this is a singing competition, right? Like, but I'm here to be a celebrity. Like, you've come, you've stood in a line for a long time for the wrong reasons. You can't sing. It's a singing competition, right? And it's the same thing. This is God's promise to us all the time. Philippians 1.6 says it this way. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, Christ, until the day of Christ Jesus. God says, I'm going to work for your good to shape you into my image. That's his promise to you. That is not easy work. And so one of the first things we talk about, do you, is that in following Jesus and in being a disciple, it's to recognize that what God wants to do is reshape our souls. John 15, Jesus, we just read, Jesus was saying it this way, I want to produce fruit in you that last. Good things that come out of you. Now, I don't know if you know this, my dad, when he retired, growing up here in the Bay Area, he bought a bunch of land up by, um, up by Shasta. And he became, he, he started, because he, he wanted to grow grapes. He, uh, he made wine in all my life. As a kid, he would illegally send us out into the Almaden Valley to pick grapes, acting like our car, I'm not kidding, acting like this is where I come from, acting like the car was broken down and we would take buckets out and literally steal grapes from the, the things, and then he would come home and make them. So finally, he started growing his own grapes on all this acreage. And, um, but working with my dad, I realized something, pruning is important. You prune all year. Every time I go up to visit him, I'm like, hey, we're pruning. Like, like, so you think it's just in the summer. You prune in the winter. You prune after the harvest. You prune when things are starting to bud out, right? And, um, and I always forget all the things, but every time he comes, you go, okay, we're going to be cutting, cutting these. But the one thing you notice is this. In order for growth, you got to cut especially. I don't know how many times when, when I would be there, it's like, hey, we're, we're pruning back. And... And if there were too many grapes, clusters of grapes, if you would, growing on, on one of the, of the vines, yeah, you got to cut the one furthest away off because then that one won't, it won't grow, 
you'll get, you know, and it's almost like, when, especially when, when he was first growing grapes, the first few years, the grapes come out, they're like these mini, they're terrible, you can't use them, um, you know. Uh, but, but in doing that, what you realized is that God, that in the vineyard, God is always pruning. When you see the rhythm of my dad with all this acreage, and he was part of an association, which was really cool. All these, was a, a micro vineyard association he, he was, a, you know, one of the leaders of, that they would all go harvest for themselves. They would all go prune for themselves in every season. But all year round, they're pruning. The winter, there's a ton of pruning that goes on, and it's important. And sometimes we think, I mean, to be honest with you, as going through this, sometimes we think in our faith that, um, that there's only a season, like God only has these growth seasons for us. And if you're not in a growth season, there's something wrong with you, right? It's always spring and summer. Isn't God working in your life? Where's the, but half the year is spent in this dormant state that's really important. And all during the years, God, is, that you're always, you're always pruning. So every time my dad says, hey, want to come up? I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> Oh, yeah, my hands are sore. But the idea is that, uh, but you see that. And sometimes we take that pruning, if we're not understanding that, the pruning can feel like, why is God against me? God, why are you silent in this season? Because it's winter. I give you your orders. I got you this far. And then it's almost like God allows us to have this tempering period. Right? And tempering is where, right, you just, you know, it's like they heat it up and cool it down, heat it up and cool it out. That's what makes it strong. The word in Scripture sometimes that's used is perseverance. But God sometimes wants to develop, to develop strength in us. But again, if we don't understand God's story, it's easy not to connect our story to him. That's why I asked you last week, whose story are you in? You think about it, how did God shape Moses' life? Right? None of these are like our tech stories. Like, oh, we got a little thing, it did this, we went from a garage to this, to, you know, to round A to B, IPO'd, made all this money, just rocket to the moon. None of these stories are this. Almost all of them are, okay, I'm going to train you, you're going to be a leader. What happens? You're going into captivity. You, you're going into the wilderness for how long? Oh, a long time, right? Joseph, I'm going to work in your life. What does it mean? You're going to be a slave and in prison for most of your life. But if you look at all the stories from Peter to Paul, all these stories, you start looking at them and you realize that God's working them to shape them was hard. They went through all of these winter seasons in order to have fruit. We need people around us to remind us, this is where you're at. It's okay. God isn't, God, God isn't left you. He's actually working deeper. But if we don't understand that God is working to produce fruit in our lives, it's, it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to feel like he's far away. But this is God's promise to us in Romans 8.28. Now, you hear this all the time, almost selfishly, this verse. But I want you to think about it in, in, in this kind of overall picture of the seasons of God will do uh, to shape us in our lives. 
And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You've heard that, right? Oh, all things work together. But no, no, no. All things work together. It's conditional for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those ones who are facing God and walking towards him. Because here's the qualifier. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Those are the ones he's calling. Those are the ones that all these seasons, he goes, they're all going to make sense. The hard things we go through with our family, with our children, with our parents. God says, use this. I'm going to be in this. I'm going to be next to you. It's going to be hard. And you're going to experience me in a different way. You're going to experience, I'm going to give you what you don't have. When you finally come to an end of yourself, then you're going to understand how much I care for you. So instead of getting, instead of in that hard season, getting discouraged, all of a sudden we can hear God in a completely, in a deeper way. If your life is thinking, God, I want God, I want you to do these things for me. Like, I'll make a contract with God. God, I'll do A, B, and C for you, and you do these things for me. God's like, okay, that's not going to work. And that's the hardest thing. Sometimes we think we can, and sometimes it's tacit, it's underneath the surface. Let me give you three questions that you can ask yourself. And I mean, to really ask yourself, not, not the thing that you would put on a slideshow to show to somebody that doesn't see. I mean, if you're really alone with your thoughts, and you're really honest with yourself and nobody else, you get bonus points if you can do this with somebody you know. First one is this. What do I really want in life? Deep down inside, what do you really want? Ask yourself that question. Push away the surface things and go, since I was young, since I was small, what are those things I really want? Second question is this. What am I really working towards? What are you really working towards in your life? And the last one is, what is my real purpose? I'm going to have these at the end. But when you ask those questions, you can see if there's any dissidence between, right? If you feel bifurcated. Because sometimes, we, when, if we're honest, we want God to give us those things we're really wanting. And actually, that's, we're facing in a different direction. The other analogy I said is God sometimes is working over here, right, in our lives. And we're like, God, come bless over here. I got this job. I'm right there. And God's like, yeah. He goes, I love you, but that's, come follow me. And that's what repentance is. It's, it's not feeling bad. It's to turn and follow God. First, the first thing, God's deeper, God's big work is to chisel out our souls it's to shape, shape our life. And if we're not in line with him, it can be very confusing to our faith. So uh, I'm going to need 10-page term papers from everybody in the room. No. But, um, but that, is, that is a hard question to ask because we do have to go through and go question, like, why did I come to faith? What do I really believe about God? But if we can line that up, that is one of the first most important steps for heading towards him. The second one is this. Not only is it God's deeper work to shape our souls, it's our deeper work to shape our souls. Right? 
This is our deeper work. My daughter taught me this. There's no, nothing more joyful than when your teenage daughter comes to you and says, Dad, I want to be a theater major. There's, no, there's nothing more joyful. No, no, wait. I want to be a musical theater major. Now, my daughter is just wonderful, and she's the first one that goes, Dad, I know I'll never work in this field. And I go, no, 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 go through, go through the discipline of school because you're going to find a lot of other things that you love. Freshman year, something wonderful happened to her. This is all going to make a point. I'm not just talking about my daughter because I love her to death. But um, she was in a regional uh, production of... Um, of a. Uh, of uh, Solheim's Into the Woods, and her and her double, and if you're not a theater person, I'm not going to explain it, but her and her double both got approached by the vocal director of the show. And they, she says, I want to train you. And she didn't have a vocal coach at that time. And so uh, we did the math, and then my mom paid for vocal lessons for my daughter. And, <laughs> and so, true story. And so we didn't know how good this person was in the discipline she taught them. So the first thing they did for the next three years, she went through this book. And maybe some of you that had music, if you have a, a, a slide of it, yeah. The, um, and it's 24 Italian wedding songs from the 17th and 18th century. You mastered this book as a vocal coach. Is anybody in here familiar with this? Anybody, really? Yes, because yes, because you all had better majors. So she, uh, <laughs> so she goes through and masters it. But this is what I learned. I don't know any of this. I have no musical talent. But what it is is this: if you can master these songs, you you are forced to master master range. You are forced to master your breath support. You can't do these songs without mastering a number of things that are very important to, to singing and vocal that I don't even begin to understand. I just know that she had to master this book, and she did. So you go, oh, that's great. My daughter has a good voice. She's a little songbird. She sings. She has that Disney princess soprano voice, right? And, and by the way, in musical theater, nobody wants this voice anymore. They're all doing rock operas now, right? But this is, so she loves that. She goes, Dad, I would have been perfect if, I, if, if this was 1951. But she goes, she's like, this is what, this would be great. So anyways, and I didn't understand this. So we, in order to get into these schools, it's worse. You have to travel to the colleges to audition. You have to apply Right? And some of you in your majors, you know, then you have to go in front of them to audition and then get into the program. And most of these programs are literally like, yeah, we have spots for 25 to 30 people. And some of the big schools that she went to, it's like, how many people applied? Like 2,000? How many auditions? Like 600? <laughs> for how many? I'm not kidding. For how many spots? Eh, 26. <laughs> and so she had a wonderful auditions. She had auditions that were just like, not there. Right? And I didn't know, and, and I was, you know, we're traveling, to, and it's all on the East Coast. See, it is crazy. But the bottom line was that I didn't know how, how much this had helped her and how well her voice was until one of the top three schools, when she did her audition, looked at her and said, that was perfect. Thank your vocal coach. And it was like, 
okay. And then we went to this small school, and it was the first time I had ever, like, been able to hear. And, um, you know, and, you know, you're sitting in this lobby, and they all have to go in and, like, do a monologue, and then they have to do a thing, you know, then they have to sing. And you can kind of hear, in this one, you could kind of hear them. Most of the time, you're completely separated. We're taking them, you're out. But I was sitting in the lobby, and I could hear. And... You know, each, 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 you know, um, you know, each person was going in and they were singing. You could kind of hear it a little bit because it was a kind of a small little black box theater that they were doing it in. And then when my daughter went in, um, I was in the lobby and I realized, and you have to understand, my daughter is 100 pounds. I mean, she's 105 pounds. And so her, her vocal coach would look at her and go, you need to gain weight. You can't project it's a hundred pound body. This just doesn't work. Your voice has to go through the back of the room. And so she, you know, she would be, she would have her lie down with books on her stomach, right? To, to teach that. All that to say, when she went into audition, all of a sudden sitting in the waiting room, her voice was twice as loud as everybody else's. And I was like, dang. <laughs> So I know that sounds like I'm bragging about my daughter, and I guess I am, but I realize that if you don't have, if you don't have something to take you through this, if you're not practicing the best, then it's, it is, there is a delta there. There is a game changer. Right? And so when it comes to, when it, when it comes to our life, what if, I'm going to give you a term today that I think is the key to it, to, to think about it. What if the magic word is obedience? It's easy to love God. And sometimes we can fool ourselves to thinking that we're facing in this direction and we love God, but obedience is actually moving towards him. And in fact, we can say, well, I love God, I love God, and actually be, our, our actual actions, we can be moving away from him. I think this is one of the issues we have in the American church because we stress loving God so much that we don't understand obedience brings us into closeness. So obedience sometimes can feel like, right? If you think about obedience, it's almost like, what is it like? It's like the mean teacher who makes you do things and you're like, ah, oh, it, it seems like it's, um, you know, like it's oppressive, like it's suffocating. But what if obedience to God and focusing on it and thinking about it deeply, what if this was the key to joy? What if it was the key to adventure? Because in most settings, if you think, hey, you need to be obedient to this, you're like, to me, you know, that's at least, that's what, <laughs> that's what I was growing up, right? But... If you were scaling El Capitan with a, like, obedience would be, hey, put your hand on that rock. I'm like, I'm doing everything you say because this is an adventure. If you've ever been whitewater rafting, the guide in the back of the boat, whatever he says, you do immediately. Why? Because it's like, well, what does he know? It's like, he's, my life is in his hands. I'm like, whatever you say, I'm going to do. You know, what if in investing your money, you go, well, I know better than you. Like, no, no, no. Listen to the person. Like, trust me on this. Right. Listen to. So whoever that authority is, if you could say that and then developing this with God daily, 
in everything you do. God, is there anybody you want me to talk to today? Maybe your process is journaling. God, is there anybody I need to apologize to? And if God says yes, do it, then you just go, don't, and my, my, as my coach in high school used to say, he said, Eric, don't think you'll hurt the team. Just, 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 I'm just going to do it and see what happens. What if this was the way that gives us big steps towards God? Instead of incremental, it's big change. When Jesus, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he uses this picture. He looks at the crowds and he said, he said, okay, so there is a, there's a man, he's got two sons. He tells one son, will you go and work in my vineyard? He goes, no, but he ends up going. He tells the other son, yes, I'll work in your vineyard, and he doesn't go. Which, which son is, which son's the son that listened to his father, right? So what's he saying? It's like, well, we can agree with God and not do what he says. It's like, it's like we're like the disobedient son. Or we can be the one that's like, I don't know about you, but we end up doing it. This is the same point he makes with the, with, the, with the Good Samaritan. The religious leaders step over him in the Samaritan, right? Pick your villain in your life, right? You know, the Dodger fan, sorry, Ben. The Dodger fan helps him. I'm like, what? You know, but the idea is that God says in the doing when we concentrate on doing, the Christian faith at lifetime is not just an intellectual faith, we did that with the enlightenment. It's a doing faith. And when we actually concentrate on God, what are you calling me to do? This is where our, it's like our relationship with God actually starts to make sense. Everything kind of lines up because now he's in control. Is God wanting to do something in your life, but he can't do it because you'll take credit for it. I'd love to, I'd love to be more involved in your work. But if he, if he moves into that area, you're like, I got it from here, God. He goes, I can't bless anything. That moves you further away from me. He prunes anything that, takes, that gets in between us. So in a posture of obedience, what it does is it knocks everything down. So if God works, we take our hand, eyes, hands off of it. Sometimes he purposely lets us get stuck in things where we don't have easy answers so that we pray and we pray and we pray and then you can give it then God finally answers it and you go you did that with my daughter not me you did that with my with my mom not me and so when you're in those seasons where you feel like you're stuck maybe God's like okay I'm going to ramp up the temperature here give it all to me and it's not just a one-time event but that's the idea of obedience that this is the idea of loving God with all of our soul Two sons go into the... In other words, it's marrying, it's marrying our thoughtful, our, um, it's, it, you know, it's marrying our love for God with respect and fear. We don't often talk about the fear of God. But if you think about it, when we really fear God, if he says something. So there's these habits that I've gotten into. Like every time you get on a plane, it's really easy to go, God, put me next to somebody, whoever that would be, if you have something for them. When I used to go into meetings and there'd be, oh, yeah, there's so-and-so over there. They're, you know, I go, huh, just go in and sit down. God, who would you bring that to? Go into a grocery store. 
God, what do I need here? Let me not spend stuff on it. Is there anybody in this grocery store? And this sounds dumb, but you'd be surprised. Then when something happens, you're like, I don't have anything to do with this. And I've had that happen. Now, it doesn't happen every time. Or I'd be at the grocery store every day. But, but wherever you go, when you invite God in and you give him that, God, is there anything you're calling me to? In the morning, God, is there anything I need to do? And once in a while, your hearing will start to sharpen. Jesus says it this way. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Don't think you'll hurt the team. Just obey. Just do it. See what happens. What if God isn't just about religious practices, but what if God really is this guide that says, I... Walk with me. Think about what he did with his disciples. And, and I won't go through everything, but it's, it, he took them from experience to experience to experience. He wants to do the same with us. Every time you get frustrated and with anything, you go, wait a minute. God, what are you doing here? Obedience is key to, to a vibrant faith, right? Easier to move us. Uh, you know, easier to steer a moving car than one that's, that's sitting still, right? So now we come to, um, um, you know, just ending with our, you know, what are the practices that help us learn um, obedience? So um, can you bring up the, uh, the slide of, of a spiritual dispense? We talked about these. Um, remember, God did not give us, um, does not make us timid, but gives us uh, power, love, and self-discipline. So this is something he does give to us. So the first one I would say is this. One of the ones that help us in this part is fasting. Now, the first thing we think of is food, and that can be a really good thing. But it's also fasting from other things in our life. In other words, we're willingly going to place things down. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's media. But you're purposely breaking a pattern so that you can actually invite God into it. And so maybe it's a small thing, maybe it's a big thing. But again, anytime we break that and invite God into it, we never know what he's going to do. People that fast and do that, all of a sudden, that part of your life can, can, part of that can come to life. Second thing, here's one of the quickest ways. You want to grow towards obedience? Think about your giving. Like, whoa, whoa, can't talk about money. Church, no, I'm not talking about giving to me. I'm talking about giving to Pastor Ben. Uh, no, um, <laughs> but anytime we give, right, God says that, right, the heart, our money and our heart are tied together. So anytime we give, all of a sudden, it gets our attention. It gets our values. Wait, how much are we going to give? We're going to give what? Go do that with your, if you're married with your spouse. Look at your, like, give in a way. I'm like, it gets your attention. All of a sudden, you're invested, so sometimes the best way to do giving is a great practice to think, God, what are you calling me to give to? And he'll say, I want you to give this way and see what he does within it. It's a great way, again, to purposely break up those patterns. The other part of this is we have submission. Asking, journaling, asking people, what do you think I need to those trusted relationships? I had a habit when anybody said to me, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to, you know, you should talk to this person. I would just take it as this is what God wanted me to do. 
right? You should talk to Kevin Yang. Okay, I'm going to talk to Kevin. I'm just going to call him up. I'm going to punt him down. I'm going to show up at his work. I'm going to find this. But every time, I always felt like this was what God was doing. And I'm not saying you have to do that, right? But the idea is that you come up with, all of a sudden, you start to hear God's voice is that if he says, hey, I want you to do this, you just go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust that he's in it, right? Submission is, seeing, is, is asking people and engaging others in God to say, God, what area of my life do I need to give up to pare back? What are those areas that are shaping my life that I just, let me put that down. Sometimes that can be through fasting. Sometimes it can be through giving up willingly part of that. Those are those exercises that, that help us. And the last one, like everything else we talked about, is intentional relationships. That, that is the greenhouse that grows your faith. Intentional relationships, allowing people in. So as we go to our extra credit and end our time, first one was read the uh, John 15, 1 through 8, three times this week. Think about the, vine the, the, the vineyard. Let that soak in. Identify one specific thing to obey God in this week. What's one thing? You go, God, I'm going to, okay, if you're calling me to this, I'm going to, I'm going to obey you in that. And God has sometimes, sometimes he'll give you things that don't make sense. He's done that with me. And you just go, I'll just, I'm going to do it. I, how many times I've obeyed God and I'm like, this is going to be embarrassing, but I'm going to do it. And, um, and you hesitate because it's embarrassing. That's a good thing. The three questions they've written up here. Answer those, write them down as honestly as possible. And a bonus if you can do this with, with somebody else. I'll tell you exactly what I think, you know, I really want in life, if I'm really honest. And then is there one thing you would fast from this week? The journey towards God is he wants to shape our souls. And when we come, we come next to him, agreeing with obedience, seeing that this is like God wants to do something. This is where God is going to show up. This is almost always where we're going to get um, our God sightings from, is when, we, is when we agree with God and go in his direction. Anything God's calling you to, even though it might feel strange, even though it might feel obedient, uh, anytime we're obedient to him, that's, that's where we start to move closer to God and his voice gets louder. If you feel like God's voice is far away from you, there's a good chance maybe you're lined up facing him, but maybe we're not doing the practices that bring, bring us towards him. There's two things that God called us to obey. One is baptism, and the other one is the Lord's table. So, uh, you know, you can actually check one of the boxes off this week because Pastor Ben's going to come up and lead us in, in uh, communion. And in communion, it, again, it centers us always towards the love that God has for us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are interested and you care about us enough to shape our souls. Give us a heart to obey you. Give us a heart to be honest with who we are. Would you allow scripture, Father, to, uh, to un, you know, unravel our deeper motivations? And Father, sometimes we don't even understand them deeply. Would you bring people into our lives to help us even sort those things out? But Father, let us do things that bring us closer to you 
and let us see the seasons of fruit and pruning as from you. We ask that um, for my friends here that are discouraged, that you would, uh, that you would encourage them. And for some of us have been dormant, that you would wake us up and that you would purposely allow us to take steps towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.